I'm going to start by reading a poem, and uh, it's there on your sheets. I, I thought about just reading it out aloud, but I wanted you to have it. And uh, I'm not going to preach on the poem, but I think there's some really interesting ideas in here. Um, particularly, there's a little line in the middle uh, that says, um, this, is, this is Robert Frost's poem, you'll, you'll recognize it, but there's a moment where he says, I thought I'd come back to a pathway, but the way that life works, we don't always come back to the pathway. I just want to put that idea in your head before we start the sermon today. Um, I'm going to give you some choices to go down different pathways. The Lord is going to give you choices today about pathways to go down. And uh, you might say, I'm not going to go down that path today. I'll come back to it. Um, There might be a little lesson to learn from Robert Frost. Let me read the poem for you. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And then I took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Of course, Robert's, uh, Robert Frost's famous poem explores the idea that every choice we make leads down one pathway or another. And not every choice we make is life-altering. You go to a wedding, you have the chicken or the fish, sir. <laughs> Actually, at weddings, you never get to choose. Somehow, I'm always on the one that I didn't want. Um, <laughs> but some choices have enduring consequences. And when we embark down those pathways, we often can't see where they might lead us. And the path we take makes all of the difference. At the heart of the Bible passage we're going to read today, there's a choice, a decision to go one way or the other, which ends up taking are making all of the difference for one of the characters in our story. And of course, we learn lessons as we read from the characters of the Bible. So why don't we pray that God would speak to us this morning as we listen to this very ancient story. We're going to ask that he would speak to us. Our Heavenly Father, as we open the Bible this morning, will you speak to us from its pages? Will you teach us how to make wise choices in this lifetime and to choose the pathways that you lay out before us Father, may all of our choices lead to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, this is our second week in our new teaching series. Uh, We're spending the next seven or eight weeks in Genesis chapters 12 to 25, um, following the story of Abraham and his promises, or the promises that God made to him. Um, Now, this is a section um, of the Bible that has all kinds of historical narrative. It's very interesting, uh, and it teaches about the origins of God's Old Testament people. But it does more than that. Um, These chapters actually teach us foundational truths about the way that God um, has been working in the world to fulfill the promises that he made to Abram 4,000 years ago. Um, So there's lots to take away from this Bible um, section that we're working on now. Uh, But I want to start by taking us back to last week, um, to where the story started and to tell you where we're up to. Um, So this is very early in the history of the Bible. The the great flood of Noah had happened. Um, 
And uh, in the generations after the flood, Noah's children spread out into all of the world and it began to be populated again. And uh, in Genesis chapter 11, we see uh, um, a genealogy of all the kind of different family members and where they ended up. Well, generations pass and the story focuses in on Noah, uh, sorry, not on Noah, one of Noah's descendants called Abram. Abram and his family, they'd been living in the Middle East, uh, modern day Iraq, and when God spoke to Abram and he told him to leave behind his country, leave behind his people, leave behind even his father's family, and to go to the land that God would show him. And God made three great promises to Abram. Uh, do you remember what they were from last week? Three great promises? We can call out, it's okay. What was the first one? He'll be made into a great nation. I feel like I'm losing. (laughs) He would be a father of many nations. He'd be a great nation. Second one had to do with where he would live. He was promised a great land, a land to live in. And the last was blessing. He promised him land, nation, and blessing. Uh, God promised that Abraham, he would bring Abraham into a land where he could settle. Second, he promised he would make him into a great nation. A people would come from his offspring. And third, he promised to bless Abraham, but not just to bless Abraham, but actually to bring blessing to the entire world through Abram's family. Land, nation, and blessing. These three promises shape not only the Old Testament, but our story too. Um, Abram hears God speak. And he goes, uh, he obeys God, he packs up his family and his belongings and he starts this 800 mile journey towards Canaan, uh, modern day Israel and Palestine. Uh, Where we finished last week, Abram had arrived in Canaan, um, the promised land, but it was full of Canaanites. And uh, God spoke to Abraham again saying, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And Abram shows his trust in God by building this altar and he builds an altar to the Lord, he calls on the name of the Lord and he worships him. And so, so far we have this picture of Abraham um, as a model of what it looks like to trust in God. God speaks and Abram obeys. Uh, and that's where the next part of the story comes as a bit of a surprise. Um, there'll be three choices in today's sermon. This is choice number one. Abram makes a choice that seems highly questionable. Um, now we don't have time to read every part of this story. There's 25, well, it's not 20, 13 chapters. And so I want you to encourage you to read through Genesis 12 to 25 at home. And that way the story will be a little bit familiar for you when you come to church. Uh, But let me tell you about Abram's questionable choice. This is from the end of chapter 12. It's not on your sheets, so you won't be able to read along. So just listen to the story. Um, God has led Abraham into the land that he promised him. But there's a new obstacle. There is a famine in the land. And so Abram leads his family and all of the entourage, the camels and the donkeys and the the servants, he leads them south into Egypt. If you remember your ancient history from school, Egypt is very fertile because of the Nile and the floods every year. And uh, Abram heads down to Egypt to escape the famine in Canaan. But Abram is worried because his wife Sarai is very, very beautiful. In fact, she's so beautiful that she thinks uh, that he thinks When I get to Egypt, they're going to look at my wife and say she's so beautiful that they'll kill him and take her. So Abram hatches a plan. He says to Sarah, uh, Sarah, um, Sarah, I'm going to call her Sarah. Uh, The names change a little bit later in the story. From Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, 
If I get them wrong, just bear with me. Abram hatches this plan. He says to Sarah, he says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians say, and when they see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Abram wants Sarai to pretend to be his sister, which is not exactly untrue, because Sarah is actually Abram's half-sister. They have the same father, but a different mother. The plot thickens. <laughs> Abram's fears are well-founded, because on entering Egypt, Sarah's, beautiful, uh, Sarah's beauty is noticed, and she's taken straight away to Pharaoh's palace to be part of his harem, to be one of his wives. Meanwhile, Pharaoh showers Abram with all kinds of gifts. He gets donkeys and camels and servants in return for Sarah. Do you see the problem, aside from the morally questionable act of Abram giving his wife to another man? <laughs> Abram's choice to go to Egypt seems to threaten God's big promises. I mean, Abraham is now outside of the land. And his wife, who's meant to help him birth a nation, well, she's now another man's wife. And as for all of the nations being blessed through Abram, well, instead, because Sarah had been given to the Pharaoh, the Lord actually sent curses upon Pharaoh and his household. He inflicted diseases upon them. And so Pharaoh, he summons Abram, and he says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. <laughs> Pharaoh says, get lost. Pharaoh releases Sarah and he sends away Abram with all of the gifts and the donkeys and the camels. Just get out of my kingdom. What do you make of a story like this? It's so unusual, isn't it? It's even more unusual that as you read on, you get to chapter 20 and exactly the same thing happens. A king called Abimelech comes and he takes Sarah and he says, it's my sister and exactly the same thing happens. What do you make of a story like this in the Bible? One thing I love about the Bible is it doesn't whitewash the heroes of the faith. And whether it's the Old Testament or the New, the, the text rarely covers up the flaws and failures of the heroes of faith. Here we see a very honest picture of Abram. He's afraid for his life, and he gives away his own wife to save his skin. He's kind of terrible, right? He does what it takes. It's a picture of fear, not of faith. And that's the first big idea I want to focus on today, that the idea of trusting God when... Even the, when the road in front of you makes you afraid. So some of you have been on the Christian journey for a long time now, and others are just starting out. But what we learn from Abram is that the road isn't always clear of debris. There may be significant obstacles or roadblocks ahead of us in our journey as Christians. But that doesn't mean we should abandon the path or choose a different direction. Abram, he was in the promised land, and then he abandoned it. Because of the famine, he couldn't imagine how God might be able to feed him. Um, if you've read the rest of the Bible, God has a habit of feeding people in famines, doesn't he? Um, you might be facing a famine in your life right now. There might be some other obstacle to your faith, wondering how God is going to provide for you in this season. It might be your finances. It might be your health. Perhaps your family is in crisis. Your marriage might be on the rocks. Perhaps as a Christian, you're starting to feel like God isn't giving you the answers that you wanted and you're thinking about looking for greener pastures elsewhere. This passage teaches us that the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. 
Every choice we make has consequences and sometimes traumatic consequences. I imagine Sarah and Abraham spent a long time processing what happened in Egypt. I think it would have been really a painful journey for them to, to, to work through that. And um, when you read between the lines, uh, in the couple of verses at the beginning of chapter 13, it seems like it takes Abram and Sarah a long time to come back to the promised land. Um, literally, and, and I think metaphorically too. Um, chapter 13 starts with this image of Abram and his family bouncing around from town to town and place to place. They're kind of restless until they finally come back to the promised land. They make it back to Bethel, back to that place where Abram had called on the name of the Lord and he'd worshipped. And I think it's a symbolic moment as Abram rededicates himself to God and he gets his life back on the right track. It gets his family's life back on the right track. You might be here this morning thinking, I want to get my life back on the right track. You know, I'm sick of seeking solutions that don't work. I'm sick of the relentless, restless journey that never seems to get me where I want to go. You're sick of doing this thing on my own. Lord, I need you. If that's you, I want you to keep listening because we're going to have a chance at the end of the sermon to come back to God, to rededicate yourself to him, to, to have that moment of worshipping again. Uh, if that's what God is saying to you this morning, keep listening. We're going to keep thinking about that at the end. Choice number two. Uh, before we get to the end, I want to look at the second big choice that Abraham makes in the passage today. And this one comes from the reading that Johnny brought us just before. It's there on the back of your handouts in Genesis 13. Uh, we read that in verse 2 that Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. No thanks to Pharaoh's great big gift. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they were together, for their possessions were so great that they weren't able to stay together. And Lot was Abram's nephew. Uh, he'd traveled with Abram when his father died up in Haran. Uh, perhaps Abram was like a father figure to Lot, we're not quite sure, um, but they're certainly a close-knit family. But now the problem is that both Abram and Lot, they've got so many herds and camels and and the entourage is so large, they've amassed such significant wealth that the land could not support them if they stayed together. And verse 7 reminds us that there were also other people in the land. There was Canaanites and Perizzites. And I'm sure they didn't take too kindly to these foreigners coming in with great big herds and needing fodder and water for their herds. So Abram makes a suggestion in verse 8. He says, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It's a simple solution, isn't it? You split the land and you choose whichever side you like. Now, I grew up with um, a brother, an older brother and two younger sisters. I know how this game works. <laughs> you know, if you get to the end of dinner and there's, there's one piece of steak left or the last piece of birthday cake, and you have to split it. And the law, right? I'm sure it's the law written somewhere. Whoever cuts it, one person cuts it and the other person chooses. Um, <laughs> and so, of course, if you're the one who's cutting, you want to make it razor sharp down the middle. Uh, of course, if, if the other person, if you end up cutting, they always take the best piece. That's the game. Who thought sharing would be so difficult? Um, turns out it's not difficult for Abram. Um, he lets Lot choose whichever side he wants. 
He lets him choose whichever bit of the land he wants. And Lot chooses the best part. Uh, Or so he thinks. Look at verse 10. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. It looked like the garden of the Lord. It looked like Eden. And it looked like the land of Egypt. And so Lot chose for himself that whole plain to the east of the Jordan. He set out towards the east and the two men parted company. And so Abram, he lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and he pitched his tents near Sodom. The people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot picks the part of the land that looks the richest, you know, the most productive. It's also an area where a, a reputation for partying. And that's where Lot chose to pitch his tents, really close to Sodom. Now, we said before that every choice has consequences, and Lot's choice of this particular area to settle in, well, it would have dire consequences for his family. As we read on in Genesis, Sodom is a place where dark and disturbing things happen. And Lot chooses to move from the outskirts right to the very center of that dark and disturbing culture. And ultimately, it would end up destroying his family. I'm going to leave it up to you to read the story. But there are lessons for us to learn from Lot. Lessons about where we choose to live our life. See, Lot chose to flirt with sin. He made choice after choice that led him further and further away from the promised land. And closer and closer to the place that would cost him his life. It cost him his wife and almost cost him his own life. Where are your choices leading you? Where are your choices leading you? Perhaps you've heard God's call in your life, but you've been following the path of Lot. Making choices that you know don't lead to godliness. Making choices that you know aren't good for you. Choices that might even have serious consequences for your family. The lesson that we learn from Lot is when we flirt with sin, we flirt with destruction. In the book of Proverbs, it says, if you walk on hot coals, your feet will get burned. It's just the way it is. And our choices have consequences. And if we listen and look at Lot's story, it's better to learn from him than to make the mistakes ourselves in our own life. We want to learn from history, don't we? So if you've been walking down the path of Lot, the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God stands ready to forgive those mistakes. He's the God of second chances and third chances and hundredth chances. But to receive God's forgiveness, you need to come back. You need to come back to the right path. You need to come back to Jesus. You need to come back to the cross, back on the path to the promised land. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you need to get back on the right path, like I said a few minutes ago. I'm going to make time at the end of the sermon to respond to God and to come back to Jesus. If that's you, hold the thought and keep listening because there's one more choice in our passage. Now, the last choice was Abram's choice not to make a choice um, or him allowing Abram, to, uh, so allowing Lot to choose and, and to be content with whatever was left to him. There's a lesson for us there. We need to trust that God is at work even when the land in front of us doesn't look as fertile as we hoped it might look. We need to trust God even when the land in front of us doesn't look as fertile as we'd hoped for. Um, we are so used to upgrading and upsizing, upcareering. Is that a word? I'm coining it right now. You know, always seeking after more, doing more, being more, experiencing more. Sometimes it can be really hard to be content with what we have. I'm sure we've all experienced that at times. But what if God's plan for you is not actually more? 
What if it's less or less than you expected anyway? What will you do or what will that do to your trust in God? When we look to Abram, we find a model of contentment in God's promises. Abram allows his nephew to take half of what had been promised to him. And he gives it away freely without, without jealousy, without resentment. He trusts that God will give him enough. And in that moment, unexpectedly, God speaks to Abram again. Verse 14, the Lord says to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, he says, look around. Look around from where you are. Look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west, and you will see all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Of course, you can't count the dust of the earth. He's going to have such a great family. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land that I'm giving you. Imagine what it must have been like for Abram in that moment. You know, he'd heard God speak before, but now God's voice was telling him that the promises were one step closer. They're one step closer. You've followed my voice from Haran to Canaan, and now here it is. Here is the land, the land that I'm going to give to you and your offspring. God points north and south and east and west, and he says, look, see it. Feel it, touch it, smell it. It's real, and it's one step closer than it was before. And brothers and sisters, the promised land is one step closer for us too. Every day as we wait for Jesus to return or call us home, every day we are one step closer to the fulfillment of God's promises to us in Jesus Christ, this eternal promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, a place for the nation that God is building with his people a place of blessing, a place of goodness. One day, you and I will look north and south and we'll look east and we'll look west and God is going to show it all to us. We'll be able to see it and touch it and feel it in a way that we can't do now. We're going to enjoy that heavenly realm and it's never going to feel like it's not enough. You're never going to say, oh, I wish it was a bit more. It's going to be fantastic. We'll be satisfied and more. But for now, we live by faith and not by sight. And we teach our hearts to trust these promises, to trust that they're true, and we do it by listening to God's voice, principally here in the Bible. And when our faith is failing, when we take the wrong path, when we get caught up in the things of this world that never satisfy, we look back to the cross. We look up to the cross, our north and our south, our east and our west, our compass to guide us home to Jesus and to eternal life. I wonder if today you want to come home to Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, Lord, I Need You. It's a song all about coming back to Jesus, and confessing our need for forgiveness, confessing our need for guidance, our need for somebody to give our hearts rest, a need for somebody to fix up the messes. There's a line that says something like, without you, it just never works out. It's a song about rest and hope and finding them in Jesus. So if you want to come home to Jesus today, if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, if you want to get back on the right path with Jesus today, why don't you make this song your prayer? Let me pray for us now as the musicians come up. Heavenly Father, there's so much to learn from Abram and the lessons that we learn from him. Father, help us to choose the right path to come back to you, to come back to that place of worship, that place where we set our hearts right, the place where we find Jesus. Help us come back to the cross today 
to find forgiveness in him. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.